is going on everybody welcome into a special edition of the daily energy news beat stand up here on this gorgeous friday july 28th 2023 as always i'm your humble correspondent michael tanner coming to you from an undisclosed location here in dallas texas joined by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website energynewsbeat.com Stuart turley my man how we doing today it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood i can't complain it's almost friday it is it well. It is Friday. If they're listening to this, too, uh, we're recording this intro a little oh, bit no, early. No. But as you listen to this, it is Friday. You made it through the week, folks. So give yourself a pat on the back, and we have a treat for you guys. Our weekly recap where we bring you the top segments from the past week. I mean, a lot happened. We had a lot of earnings happen this week. You know, obviously our climate hypocrisy, some of our favorite stuff. We talked bricks. I mean, all of the different stuff. The team's going to select the top stories, throw them in here. We would just like to say again, www.energynewsbeat.com is where all of these stories come. You can hit the description below, dashboard.energynewsbeat.com. Questions at energynewsbeat.com. You made it through the weekend, guys. I'm giving it up to the weekly recap. See ya. But let's start with uh, my buddy, uh, Jennifer Granholm. And I can't, I keep patting myself on the back. And uh, if she ever got married to Fetterman, it'd be Fetter Graham or Graham yep. Fetter. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, she is sitting there looking at this article. Only smokes. Oil markets are still volatile. U.S. Energy Chief says calling for further supplies. But will they allow drilling? This one is hypocrisy at its finest. Volatility is still weighing on oil markets, as Secretary Jennifer Granholm said Saturday, reiterating calls for additional supplies. Here's where it gets a couple quotes that just drive me nuts. She says that oil demand is going to go up 12.5. Currently, we're doing around the 11 range. (laughs) So in that 11 range, now remember, we have to import the heavy because there's no Keystone pipeline, we could get the heavy out of the Canadian oil sands. Just thought I'd throw that little miserable piece of news out there. Here's where she uh, comes up with this. We want prices to come down. The president is really focused on the impacts of real people who need to get to work and cannot afford that premium, Granholm highlighted. Here's a little bit of tidbit. They're thinking of pulling even more out of the SPR. And the SPR is at the lowest it's been in 30 years. It's at 300 million barrels, somewhere in that range. They still want to draw it down, even though they can't afford to put the oil back in, like I told you a little while ago. So let's come into this one. We want to see more supply. It gets dangerous when the prices are so high. I think the prudent course is to ensure that transportation is affordable for people. And that course means making supply is stable. She doesn't understand how pricing works in the oil and gas market. Well, I think she understands exactly how it works. She just can't come out and say, we want to produce more oil and gas because it would go against the stated goals of this administration. It's a catch 22. It's it's like a fat person nominating their doctor in attempting to tell them how they're going to keep their horrible diet up. It's like the doctor's got to come out and say, well, you know, really four bags of M&Ms is actually, in our case, it could be good, you know, for all these five. I mean, you're the tap dancing that they have to do around to come up with the idea of, well, we don't want the consumers paying too much for energy. We expect demand to increase, but we don't want any more drilling. I mean, right. What do they want? 
They want to restrict the amount of, of oil and gas capital that it's available in the industry. Yet they also keenly understand that that demand is going to increase to 12.5. They want their cake. They want to eat it too. Here's, I feel here's, sorry for her because I think she actually knows what the solution is. More investment in drilling, more barrels coming out of the U.S. ground. The problem is she's hamstrung. She can't say it. She can't go out and say the answer is drill more, Stu. She can't. What do you expect her to say? I expect her not to laugh like she did when she asked that one question. Uh, how are you going to drill more oil? And she just started laughing yeah. like her vice president. I'm not saying she's I'm not saying she's a, a great person. by interest. I'm just saying, like, right. I, I think we keep expecting her to come out and say what we all already know. OK, but here's, she can't. The, here's the last line, Michael. We have to do everything, everywhere, all at once. Deploy, deploy, deploy clean energy, because if we don't, our planet is on fire and we must address it. And she loses all credibility when she says our planet is on fire. Oh, done. And uh, so here's here's my take. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Green Little, Deborah Wald. They can do renewable energy time and time again without this. So. If Granholm called Deborah Wald, she ought to be our next uh, Secretary of Energy. Ship owners splash out $47 billion for LNG carrier new builds in 18 months. Michael, this is a big story, especially when we consider what's going to go on in the other stories. So I got kidneys up here for our podcast listeners. I'm pointing to my head and saying I got kidneys. So, okay, uh, spending, listen to this, spending on new LNG carriers since the beginning of 2022 represents 27% of new shipbuilding investment and more than any other, including container ship. That's pretty amazing. In 18 months, 47 billion. Yeah, considering that that what normally was happening was, you know, in the, you know, it was much, much lower than that. I think the idea that LNG is going to be plentiful and is going to be seen as a bridge fuel between yep. crude oil and whatever this 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 holy grail of renewable energy is, it's definitely going to be a bridge fuel we've covered last week and we've covered on this show at nauseum. Right. The long-term LNG contract signed by both uh, China with Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Qatar have come out and signed large deals around the world. Something that you've been covering. So this investment comes at the right time because they're needed in order to achieve these products. Oh, and, and this is huge to the U S because we can't ship out our great products because we don't have any tankers. So, you know, they note that, you know, this rising LNG demand in Asia, you know, and the role of relatively clean hydrocarbon in the energy transition are both underlying growth drivers. You nailed it. And Asia has picked up where uh, the rest of the world isn't. And they're rolling out LNG far superior than Canada or uh, the U.S. So I got to hand it to them. Let me throw this at you. Here's some other numbers. Despite dramatically higher new ship prices, up 211 million for a standard 174,000 cubic meter vessel starting at 2022 to 261 uh, million dollars today. LNG uh, owners are still pinning down the few remaining slots that are available between now and late 2027. 
Think about that. That's just as bad as in your day job drilling wells and going from a $7 million well to a, uh, looking about the ballpark there, probably about a $14 million well. Right. Now you're talking that's a du- that's a double. This is not a 50% increase. This is somewhere around a 20% increase. You're talking going from somewhere around seven to ten million dollars. I'm with you. It's gonna keep going up. What I want to know is how do we get our hands out on one of these 331 vessels? I vote energy newsbeat crowdsources our own LNG tanker. I think we should. And we owe it to ourselves to become uh skipper, you know, the three uh what is it? Uh, they went out for a three-hour cruise. You and I could do podcasts from that. Exactly. We'll captain the ship. You just fill it up. We'll drive. You'll get us for six hours. So yeah, we'll, but seriously, maybe we'll give them some energy news beat tokens. You think they take energy news beat tokens instead of dollars? (laughs) Chevron posts 6 billion quarterly earnings. Boy, we're talking billions a lot today, aren't we? Beating estimates. What are your thoughts on Chevron's earnings? So I think two things. One, they come in at about $6.1 billion for second quarter earnings, beating analyst expectations. You know, I think you're going to read, oh, down 48% year over year. You realize that it does top second quarter profit um, for $5.5 billion, which was expected by analysts in a Bloomberg survey. I think the interesting note that Chevron dropped on a, on a Sunday night was that they produced 772,000 BOE um, out of the Permian during quarter three, which is, or second quarter, which is an absolute record, um, which is absolutely incredible to give you guys an idea. Um, they gave away um, dividends of about $2.8 billion and did about $4.4 billion of share repurchasing. Um, they also announced that they're doing some senior restructuring current CFOs retiring, bringing in somebody else. So uh, got to love that. I mean, Chevron continues to, to, to be a beast, Stu. It is what it is. I mean, when you're, when, when, when you're doing 700,000 barrels of oil out of the Permian, you're going to be just fine. Oh yeah. Um, just fine. Well, uh, do you think he'll ever get invited over to Jennifer Granholm's house for dinner? Probably not. Well, he should. Considering that he, the more he invests, the more he lowers prices. Oh yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't most? Oh, never mind. I were I was thinking about insider trading. Maybe Nancy Pelosi knows about this one, and he is. Biden officials may be blowing America's shot. Uh, rare earth independence. This one's kind of crazy. It is actually. From Forbes, David Blackman is the author, and he had a great interview here. Uh, Let me get the quotes in here. The mind that they're missing on this is actually from Greenland. This is critical. Christopher Messina, CEO of Tanbreeze, just interviewed, uh, David just interviewed him. This is the quote out of it. This mine is one that could basically drive civilization over the next 20, 30, 50 years. Christopher Messina said, CEO of Tanbreeze, told me in a recent interview, uh, David Blackman, for the United States and its needs, that is no, probably no exaggeration given the resource was recently ranked by mining.com as number one on the list in top 
10 rare earth mining projects in the world. This is huge. Nobody in the private sector, the article comes on down in here where uh, David's article says just one problem. Nobody in the private or public sector seems interested to be the first to take on the risk of funding the project. Messina says it had funding secured in early 2020 from prominent backers uh, on such project. But you know, you sit back, the person died of, of COVID, so he lost. Anyway, it's hard to get that one out, but it's a situation where everyone cannot wait for five years, 10 years to get these things rolling. At least he has a good sense of humor of it. Forbes article, fantastic. Go read it. We'll have the link to it in the show notes. And so when you take a look at rare earth minerals, also the Biden administration is not helping on any of the permitting. So when you come in and take a look at it, we've got to have permitting reforms and allow for the investing of these kind of projects in order to try to get rare earth minerals and critical earth minerals to the United States. And let's make our own gear rather than letting China sell us the gear at a higher price and then use coal in order to manufacture the things. So when you take a look at the Manhattan Institution, Mines, Minerals, and a Green Energy Reality Check. So when you take a look at this, I believe this is Mark Mills. And some of the things in this article are just phenomenal. The material cost of clean tech. He has in here the material requirements to build different energy machines. This is critical when you sit back and take a look. How many materials used in tons per kilowatt hour? You got to look at the kilowatts produced by resources, and that's exactly what they're looking at here. So in solar uh, PV, you're looking at about 16 million tons per terawatt hour. Hydro is about 14.2. Wind is about 10.1. Geothermal is down around five. Natural gas is, is under a thousand. So when you sit back and take a look, your energy delivered to the consumers is significantly less and less impactful on the environment using natural gas. Let's use natural gas and get to carbon net zero using renewables, but you're not going to do it with China and coal. We got to have a plan. So these all these stories fit in and you got to look at all the different places they fit in. Let's go to BRICS. It's a long way to destroy the dollar. Jim Rickards warns of supply chain frailty and BRICS currency plan. This article is phenomenal, and I've already reached out to him to come on the podcast. He is a seven different book. It's sold out. It was his uh, recent best-selling book, Why Broken Supply Change Would Cause Big Inflation. Oh, yeah, we've had a bunch of it, but I've been reading some of his other stuff, and I'm, I'll let you know as soon as he, he calls me. If I have to get off this podcast because he's calling, I'll let you know. Um, I love one of these his line in here. Uh, Rickards points out, Putin has been very patient about this. The deal is in the green deal is what he's referring to. He had a deal. Ukraine was not living up to their end of the deal. 
Putin says we are the ones getting attacked, so screw the deal. What's that going to do to the price of grain? It's going to send grain prices up, and that's already up 10% in a matter of days. Now, here's where it fits into bricks and everything else. Mm -hmm. Putin's over there. Putin and um, Kiev already had a signed contract, and the U.S. bagged it. So here he is again, and Putin had a grain deal with Kiev. And they backed out and redid it. So old Putin's over here tired of everything and it's coming in. But here's where it gets down to it. BRICS, Michael, as you know, is going to be a gold-backed security. Yep. He comes down into here and says, you don't actually have to have gold in order to be a gold-backed security. I'm kind of interesting on this. So what does that make it? I mean, the, the scary may- part is, is that what BRICS decides to do is going to be extremely influential around the world. Exactly. Here's here's what he says. Let's say the brick, quote unquote brick, or you know their dollar is worth one ounce of gold today. That is a thousand nine hundred and seventy per ounce. Except the brick is not anchored to the dollar. It's anchored to gold, which stands in the middle of this equation. So the dollar is the price of gold going up or down all the time, which means the dollar or the brick exchange rate. It's going to go up all the time. They, they don't have to back it up with gold. They actually don't need any gold. If you make your currency anchored to gold, you will want the price to go up or down. You want the price of gold to go up because that means the brick is worth yep. more in the dollar. To summarize the rest of the article, he says, all you have to do then is you get off the dollar you have a fake gold standard that you're going to use and then crumple the supply and everything's going to go to hay in a handbasket. He's he's just outlined a whole blueprint on how to take down the dollar. Now, everybody was saying that we go to bricks. It could be years and decades. If you have people that really understand the supply side of things, you combine bricks and a gold standard with somebody trying to kill the supply side. That's a really, really quick. That's a, I, I found this very, very important. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think as I'll say it again, I sound like a broken record. What BRICS decides to do with the currency is scary because they're going to have a lot of weight influentially. Who are the companies in BRICS? Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. They're just like the biggest economies in the world. So, I mean, when they get done with BRICS Plus, Michael, 50% of the world's population will be in it. And Energy Newsbeat. Don't forget that. 